Good morning. My name is Alex, and I'm the lead pastor here at Corrade. I want to welcome you. I want to add to what Allison said at the beginning. If you're here visiting with us, we hope you'll feel at home. Um, Rowena just mentioned that we wait in Advent, and Allison said the same thing at the beginning of the service. We're also waiting for our sanctuary reno to be done. Um, and as you wait for things, we've talked about sojourning in the gym, and sometimes when you're camping out, the weather gets ugly, doesn't it? So it's uh, maybe a test for us. And I've got to say, we passed more than the people in Waterloo did. Someone told me all churches in Waterloo canceled their services. Philistines. <laughs> so I realize I preached against pride last week, but hey, I'm not perfect. Actually, when you're preaching out of the Old Testament, you can't joke about things like Philistines, can you? So, so you've heard today is the first Sunday of Advent. And last Sunday, we looked at the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, which is the end of the first section of Genesis. So Genesis 1 to 11 makes up, you can think of it as the opening season, the first season of the show called The Bible. And at the very end of the first season, this is often the case, right? They create a cliffhanger, so you'll come back for season two. The very end of the first season, God scatters all of humankind over the earth. And maybe you're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen next? We could have stopped there. We could have done what HBO does or what Netflix does, but we are kind. So we've given you one more week of our Genesis series not really because we wanted a happy ending, but more to the point because you have to know about Abraham if you're really going to grasp the hope that we've already talked about today, hope being the theme of the first Sunday of Advent, and the hope that even more broadly is at the heart of Christian faith. And you have to hear about covenant too, because covenant is how God relates to us, to his people. We sang that in O Come Emmanuel. You notice how the old hymns and carols incorporate a lot more Old Testament language? And that's a really positive thing. Good reason to sing them because the story of Israel is the story that underlies our new covenant story. It is the story behind the new creation. And it's the story of covenant leading up to the fulfillment of covenant in Jesus and the beginning of the new covenant. So all of that means that we needed to spend some time with Abraham as we're doing this morning. So here's the background to that. If you weren't here last Sunday, mankind sets out to create, to build a great tower, to make a name for themselves. And they declare independence from God as they do that. And then for the rest of chapter 11, you get these genealogies, you get these family trees and we see there's one family left that God favors, Shem and his descendants. And the last guy in Shem's line, named Terah, has a son named Abram. And Abram is childless, and his wife Sarah can't have kids, we learn, at the end of chapter 11. So this looks like the end of the line. Now, Terah in Hebrew means moon, which was also a metaphor in Hebrew for the end. And so it makes the point doubly there. And in Ur, which was a land where 
that family lived, people worshipped the moon, so Terah was aptly named. They did not worship Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. So as Genesis ends, it looks like the last candle is flickering out. The only godly family left on earth seems poised to go over completely to idolatry, to abandon the worship of the true God. And they also aren't having any more kids. The human race has just hit a dead end. And it looks like the darkness is about to swallow up the light entirely. But then God speaks. God speaks into the darkness. God speaks into the chaos, as we saw in Genesis chapter 1. And there is hope all over again. So let's pray before we open up our Bibles to Genesis 12. Dear God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks life to us. And I pray that you would do that this morning, Holy Spirit, that we've all come here from from different circumstances, but we all need your truth and your grace. And we see that most of all in Jesus. So would you point us to him this morning? Would you draw us into your words of eternal life, your story, which is the story that makes sense of our lives and leads us to hope, we pray. Amen. So we're going to read Genesis 12, 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Could somebody grab me some water? I would be grateful for that. Thank you. So I recently came across a headline that got my attention. It wasn't like every other headline. It, was, it said, man thinking about just packing up and making exact same mistakes someplace far away. It's not your everyday news headline, is it? So the story reads, let me read the first couple of paragraphs from it. Feeling the need to get out of his suburban hometown and make a fresh start for himself, local man Gregory Forlano told reporters Tuesday he is seriously considering throwing all his belongings in the back of his car and making the exact same mistake someplace far away. The 30-year-old Florida native said that 
After years of feeling dissatisfied with his stale social life, his tedious dead-end job, and the monotony of his daily routine, he's on the verge of severing all ties to his current life in the Tampa area and lapsing into an equally unfulfilling existence for himself in a brand new city. That's inspiring news, isn't it? Like, why can't we get more real news like that? So this story, which is obviously not serious, appeared in The Onion, a satirical newspaper. You may have heard of it. It's funny and it's cynical. It's funny because it contains truth, like all good satire. We're familiar with that feeling of wanting to change ourselves and then having nothing happen. One month from today, it will be January 1st, and some of us will embark down that path of New Year's resolutions. Others of us are too cynical to even try anymore. But this cynicism, we talked about it a bit last week, is not something that any of us really want to live with. Who would want to have such low expectations? And we see throughout the Bible that God calls us away from that. And he calls Abram, not just to some place far away. He calls him to be fruitful and to multiply like Abram never imagined would be possible. And I love the story of Abram because he didn't just let life happen to himself. He was kind of a nonconformist. You can think of him that way. He resisted the pressure to conform to the pattern of his world, to the wishes of his family and his society around him. Abraham gives us a picture of how God wants to use each of us in the world. He embraced a larger hope and he redefined the future. Now, you may hear me saying Abram. You may have read that as well. And you may wonder, isn't it Abraham? Well, Abram receives a new name, Abraham in Genesis 17, as part of the covenant God's making with him. Abram literally means father, but when we meet him in this story, Abram is 75 years old and he doesn't have any kids. So it's kind of ironic. Later, when his name changes to Abraham, uh, the meaning of that name is the father of many. So you could think of it like this. Abram means daddy and Abraham means big daddy. That just to sum it up with some technical theological language there. But it's serious for him because he doesn't have any children. And in that culture at that time, having children, family was everything. And so you wonder if he saw his life and his name as kind of like a cruel joke. He has this destiny written into him, but he's coming near to the end of his life and he doesn't have what would have made him full, what would have been a blessing from God like no other. I want to suggest this morning that many of you are in the same place as Abram. God has destined your life to have eternal significance, but you look around and you don't see it. Abraham is going to have to walk a path towards significance and fruitfulness. And it is the same path that you are going to have to walk too, whether you're young or middle-aged or older. Now, some of you are longing for this, and maybe already you're wondering where this leads. 
You're longing for your life to make a difference, to not just let life slip away, to let life happen to you. So just as God spoke creation into being at the beginning, he now speaks his call to Abram and tells him that he is going to make from him a great nation of people who will worship and follow God and who will bless the whole earth. It's an amazing promise. It's a new beginning. After judging human pride, after judging this instinct we have to want to make a name for ourselves at the Tower of Babel, after that episode in the unfolding story of Genesis, God now promises to build something new through this particular family. And it's a promise that as Christians, we have inherited. And one of the reasons Abraham is so important is... Have you heard of the Abrahamic religions? So Christianity, Judaism, Islam, the vast majority of the world's population all trace their spiritual lineage back to this man. So even if Abraham doesn't thrill you the way his story thrills me, there's something here that is just basic to our civilization, to the way we understand life and morality and journey the path we're on. This is a perfect place to start Advent as well, because the promise that we see that is made here to Abraham is only fulfilled in Jesus, who was descended from Abraham. If you open up the very first book of the New Testament, in the first verse of the first book, which points to Christmas, you will find Jesus named as a son of Abraham. And the whole genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 is... Abraham's family tree. And we're going to see starting next week that the songs that people sing because of the joy, the expectation as Jesus comes into the world are packed full of covenant language, of Abrahamic references. So if you want to understand Jesus, if you want to understand Christian faith, you have to wrestle with Abraham. In Christ, God has offered us a new covenant and a new creation. And who we are in Christ is a people commissioned to bless the world by taking the good news of Jesus and this joy, this hope, this love, this peace that we've received to all the world. So Abraham's promise isn't just for him, it's for all of us. So I I think the call we read about here to Abraham raises three questions that we need to ask ourselves. And the first question is simply, are you open to the call of Abram? This is really a question about who's in charge of your life. Would you say that you're in charge of your life or that God is? God's command to Abraham is intentionally open-ended. He says, go to the land that I will show you later. I mean, if God had been thinking more clearly, surely he would have said where Abraham was to go, wouldn't he? But no, God says to Abraham, simply go. Now, Abraham would have asked where, and God would have said, I'll show you later. God also says, I'll give you a son. And Abraham asks, how? God answers, let me take care of that. Just follow me. I love the way that John Calvin sums up the call to Abraham in his commentary on Genesis. He says, This is basically God saying, I command you, Abram, to go forth with closed eyes and I forbid you to inquire where I'm about to lead you 
until having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. So basically, God's saying, just close your eyes and take my hand. How would you receive an invitation like that? Right now, if I asked one of you at the back to stand up, close your eyes and walk towards me, would I have a volunteer? Walking with your eyes closed, walking blind, even for short distances, is dangerous. We have so many questions in the bigger picture of our lives. But God says, just close your eyes and take my hand. And we're unwilling to do that most of the time. We want to know, God, if I surrender everything to you, where are you going to make me go? Do I have to become a missionary? Do I have to change my career, give up my job? Will I have to break up with my boyfriend? What if you tell me to change in some way that I don't know how to change or I'm not ready to change? Am I going to become one of those people who tells everyone to have a blessed day all the time? Who gives store clerks the evil eye when they say happy holidays and insist that it should be Merry Christmas? We have all kinds of questions about God's call to us. He says, just close your eyes and take my hand. The second question that comes out of this passage is, do you have a covenant relationship with God? A relationship with God is best described in terms of covenant. In Genesis 12, you see the covenant outlined by what God requires of Abram and what he promises him. So he says, you must go to Abraham. And then he makes a series of incredible promises. Do you have a covenant relationship with God or a consumer one? So a consumer relationship is one where you figure out what you need and what best meets that need, and the relationship continues as long as the need is met. I, for example, have a, co- have a consumer relationship with the Vienna restaurant in downtown Guelph. <laughs> I go there for breakfast because it's about a nine-minute walk from where I live, and they have an excellent breakfast special. The service is outstanding. They have historic pictures of Guelph on the wall. I like that. But if I find a better place for breakfast better food, better price, I'm going to switch over. That is a consumer relationship, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I have a different relationship with my kids, even when they complain about cleaning their room or when they get grumpy, when we say, get off screens. I can't just trade them in. I don't go to them. I don't go to them and say, you know, Lily, who's my youngest daughter, who's 13. You know, Lily, this is really not working out. It's not you. It's me. I think I might go and try someone else's kids for a while, see how that works out. Now, no parent would do that because your relationship with your kids is not a consumer relationship. It's a covenant. Now, in our culture, this is how relationships work. 
I will be as I should be as long as you are who you should be. And if you're not, if you're not meeting my needs, if you're not who I think you should be, then I'm out of here. But in a covenant, two people look at each other and say, I will be what I should be, whether you are being who you should be or not. Both parties in a covenant relationship say, you are more important than me. This relationship is more important than my needs. I will be more committed to your needs than I will be to my own needs. And I will be more committed to the relationship than to my needs, even if my needs aren't being met at the moment. And that is so countercultural in our world, isn't it? It's also a far more fulfilling, deeper, more life-changing, joy- and life-giving relationship than a consumer relationship where it's all about me, me, me. Do you have a covenant relationship with God? Or are you still approaching him like a consumer, thinking, what can I get out of this relationship? Maybe bargaining with him. God's promises are for those who listen and obey him, who get up and go when he calls. And so we pray for the patience to trust him more. Because one thing about the journey Abraham goes on that we see outlined in the passage we read, and if we could get the map up on the screen, I have a geographical depiction of his journey. One thing about the journey is that it took a long time. So the yellow lines there are the journey that Abram and his co-travelers went on. Starting in Ur, which is in modern-day Iraq, they went up to Haran in the top there, and then down to Canaan, and you can see references to towns that are mentioned in the reading. 2,000 kilometers they traveled. And along the way, they had stops, Abraham had doubts. A lot of our faith comes down to waiting well. It comes down to patience. Would you say that you're a patient person when it comes to seeing what God has in store for you? I think that's a discipline that we can help one another practice. In a way, we practice it every Sunday just by being here and sitting where you are in a culture where no one has an attention span longer than, what do they say for advertisements? 20 seconds, I think. We're listening, we're waiting on God together this morning. And we're doing that in a covenant community also, because the other thing about covenant in the Bible is that it means we're not just in this with another person, but we are God's new covenant community. And so as we learn the discipline of patience, as we wait for God to show up in our lives according to his timetable and not ours, we do that together. We encourage each other. We speak these words of life, the words we've seen God speak the whole universe into existence with, and the word he gives to Abraham. We speak those words to each other. The third question this passage raises is, have I offered my blessing back to God to be multiplied for his kingdom? Becoming a Christ follower means viewing everything in your life 
as something to be multiplied for God's kingdom. God is a rich giver and a good father, and he loves to give gifts to his children. But he doesn't just give us blessings for us to enjoy them on our own. He blesses us always so that we can give back to him and so that we can multiply those blessings in the lives of others. Why has God blessed you? In order that you can be fruitful and multiply. It's that simple. Becoming a Christ follower means a fundamental reshaping of your life. You look at everything you've been given as a seed for sowing. There are two things you can do with a seed. You can grind it up for food or you can plant it. Now, some of you might be saying right now, well, Alex, I, I don't feel that blessed in my life. My life has been pretty hard. It doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter what your circumstances may be. God has given you seed to sow. So all of this then is part of our call. And we see the beginnings of it in God's call to Abram and his family. How can we do all this? How can we live up to the covenant standards of a holy, perfect God? How can we respond to a call to go when we are often, if not almost always, reluctant to do that? How can we multiply the blessings in our lives when our instinct is to keep them for ourselves? Well, we can do all of that because of the new covenant. Because what Abraham was asked to do, and he didn't do it that well. If you read on, Abraham has this great man of faith reputation. But if you read his story, there were plenty of ups and downs. What Abraham was asked to do, Jesus would come and one day do perfectly. Jesus was asked to go out alone, to leave his father's house, a place of perfect community, perfect relationship, and sent into the unknown. And he did that gladly. We're waiting for that through Advent, right? He did that gladly for you and for me. Jesus became homeless, fatherless, so we could have a real home, a heavenly father. If you understand that the one calling you to follow is the one who left everything for you, you will have the courage to leave it all for him. And courage comes to us as the Holy Spirit seals God's love, our true identity on our hearts and our minds. Because most of the time we are anxious and afraid about the future. But when we see Jesus and all that he has done for us, all that he has given up for us, and as the Holy Spirit changes us, our character so that we are people of courage, people who are prepared to go, to travel, to leave behind comforts, all for the glory, for God's glory, and for the greater good. Then we're ready. We're ready to follow. Let us pray. Dear God, We thank you that you are not a God who invites us to
to live our lives in fortresses, fortresses of doctrine, fortresses of community that is resistant to change or outsiders. You are not a God who builds walls, but you are a God who sends us out on a journey. And I pray that, that each of us today, um, no matter what circumstances we're facing in our lives, would hear your call once again this morning. That we would see in the challenges we're facing right now, in the relationships in our lives that are broken, in the job that we are unhappy in, in the schoolwork that is more difficult than we expected, in the disappointments and regrets of our lives, not reason to despair, but opportunities, opportunities for us to receive your word of life and to share it with others, sometimes in the darkness. And so, Lord, as we move to the table, the communion table, we lift up our thanksgiving to you. And I want to invite you right now to pray out loud prayers of thanksgiving for blessings in your lives. I'll start. God, I thank you that we live in a city where we are served by so many who put salt on the roads this morning, who keep libraries open, who keep schools open, no matter what the weather conditions. Please, Dear God, we thank you that you are good and that you want the best for us and that you always pursue us and that you created a covenant with Abram knowing that Jesus would come and fulfill it and open the way for all of us to be part of your covenant people. Lord, today as a church, we think of those who couldn't be here this morning for legitimate reasons, not just because they didn't want to scrape the ice off their cars. We pray for those who are sick and those who are um, in difficult circumstances. We think of Linda Campbell in the hospital. We pray for healing for her. Lord, we pray for those students who are going into a week of exams this coming week. We pray for them as they are stressed out by the prospect of exams, that you would give them peace in that, um, that they would know that Uh, Their grades are not what make them important in your eyes, uh, but that they are loved by you for who they are. Lord, we pray for the missions committee this week uh, as they make decisions about our missions budget. Um, We pray that you would give them wisdom. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here in the city of Guelph and to the ends of the earth, we pray. Amen.